you need to act, like not just the list, right? You need to make decisions based on your values. Everybody sees these decisions and they become about, become your culture, basically. That's the only recipe I know to creating a great culture is having good values and then sticking to them. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Hi everybody, I'm Avi uh, from Travelberg. We are a human connection platform. Uh, I'm still trying this out, this new, uh, we can talk about it, uh, our new mission. What we really do is a business travel platform. So, you know, instead of your old school uh, legacy travel agent, we're just the modern SaaS way of book imaging uh, trips. We started a company in Barcelona, in, which is as nice of a weather as, as Dublin <laughs> is today. Close, uh, yeah. close second. We started a company in 2016, um, and we just crossed $100 million of ARR. So, uh, and then we had this little um, bump on the road. I don't know if you heard about this COVID thing, uh, which kind of impacted the, the travel industry a little bit. So we had a, a couple of uh, years of interesting uh, times, but we still uh, managed to uh, grow pretty fast. So happy yeah. to be here. Yeah. That, was, uh, that was definitely an understatement. I mean, COVID, during COVID, it demolished the travel industry, right? So there were a solid two years where pretty much no one was traveling. I mean, forget business travel. Uh, and surprisingly, I mean, two years later, right, Travel Perk emerged as a billion-dollar business. Um, uh, amazing, you know, some amazing traction happening off the back of that. And I would dare even to say a market leader in Europe for this category of travel. Um, so today we're actually going to get a little bit into that. Uh, we'll be asking Avi about some more stories about uh, what's happened during that period and essentially how following like one very basic principle, which is sticking to your values, right, in, in times of uh, any time, actually, ups and downs, uh, really help transform uh, the business to what they are today. So, yeah, Avi, I mean, maybe we can get started with that. Uh, I mean, so when did you actually start thinking about company values? Uh, and what was generally like the catalyst for you to uh, think about them and implement them? Yeah. Um, so first, I, I'm, uh, my background is, is uh, engineering, right? So, so I'm a software developer. And I tend to also to be, I don't know if it's related, but I also tend to be cynical. So when I think about uh, company values, values, I always think about it like, you know, the office, like, uh, you know, the TV show. Uh, love, love the office. Would you watch the, the real one, the, the British one, or the, no, the, the American? The American one. It's actually, the Ricky Gervais one is, is even better. Is it better? Yeah, anyway, like, we'll talk about that. Um, so so I, I cannot, I couldn't, and I, to this day, I cannot help by being cynical about the corporate values that are written on the wall, and, but nobody actually... Um, acts upon and nobody knows what they are. Um, I, before I started Trumpet, I actually sold my first company to Booking.com and, and I worked at Booking for a bit more than a year. And one of the things that I definitely took away from, from that experience, Booking is a great company. Um, and one of the best things about this company is their culture. And uh, when, I, when I was able uh, and I was lucky to speak with Case Colin, who's um, one of the founders of Booking.com and was the CEO, uh, the legendary CEO of the company for many years, 
Um, I asked him about, about the culture, and he's very Dutch. So if you ever met Case Colin, you know, it was like super direct. Um, and I asked him about the values, because it was surprising to me that somebody so, um, call it um, execution focused, you know, um, you know um, would also think about some, uh, such a fluffy, intangible topic, values. I mean, so I asked him about the values, and I was curious about, about the culture. And he said, values, values are for, for idiots. <laughs> you know, that's my Dutch accent. You know? uh, we have a formula. <laughs> Actually, it's more like Israeli accent. And, uh, um, and they, have, they really have a formula. Booking.com have um, a seven-point formula, which basically is the company values. And it drives, and the reason he calls it a formula is because it drives decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So that's the first time I saw a company from the inside where values were basically an operating guide instead of just being this kind of usual corporate sorry, BS. Uh, it's a child-friendly conference. So, uh, yeah, so very operational-driven, uh, and that's what I took, one of the best things I took from Booking.com uh, into creating Trialperk. Together with my co-founders, Javi uh, and Ron, we set for, you know, so if we ask when, when did I think about it, I actually started thinking about it before we, we started the company. Oh, interesting. And one of the first things we did before even talking about the product is meeting in a restaurant in Barcelona. Uh, so, you know, Silicon Valley, you meet in a garage. So in Barcelona, you meet in a, in a tapas restaurant. And we drew, drew on, a, on a napkin uh, the seven values that we thought we should have as a company. So it was one of the first decisions we made as a team uh, was agreeing on the values. That's very, very cool. Um, so how did your values actually evolve over time? I mean, we, we put up, you know, Travel Perks company values up on the screen. Um, did they remain the same? Did they change over time? You mentioned it's kind of like an operating guideline. So maybe you can you know, yeah. speak a little bit to the evolution, if any. So what's interesting uh, in this question is uh, you can actually see the answer on, on screen if you, if, you, if you knew, right? So the values, so we did change the values. Uh, we had seven values, like Booking.com has seven. Uh, so we, we thought that that's the number you need. Uh, makes sense. And we, the three of us, uh, we came up with our own core values, things that we care about as people. And you see the, 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 over, you know, the, the, the Venn diagram of these on the screen here. Well, here. Right? So these are the five values that we had from the beginning that never changed. The wording changed a little bit. Uh, be a good person used to be called, don't be an asshole. So we just made it a bit uh, positive, you know, more, a bit softer, but it's the same value. Uh, and we had two more that we... Um, uh, we adopted from Booking.com. And what's interesting uh, to note is that these two, over the years, got forgotten and were left outside you know, on, on, the, on the editor uh, room floor, right? So they never made it uh, you know, through the organic growth of the company. Okay. And the five values that came from us, from the founding team, stayed. And I think the reason for that is um, if you really think about our core values and I'm using the, I think, the Jim Collins uh, definition, if I'm not mistaken, for, for core values, or uh, as, you know, defined as values that you stick to, even if you have something to lose. Right? So, so it's very easy to say, uh, we are, you know, so our first value is, is uh, we believe in seven-star experience to our customers and to the team, to our team. And it's very easy to say, you know, to shout it, it, it you know, to, from the stage. It makes me uh, look like a great person and look at me. And I believe in treating my team well and my customers well. Uh, but if you don't actually stick to it, when you have something to lose, then it's, it's worse than not having values. It's an empty value that your team and your partners and your investors 
uh, completely see-through and you look like a fraud. So um, I think this was the test without really realizing it. But over the years, uh, this was really the test, which values are really core values to us as people and which values we added. So we had like uh, one of the booking.com values is, uh, they call it milking the cows, very Dutch farming uh, values. And we adopted it. I was vegan at the time, so we called it watering the fields. <laughs> uh, we made it vegan. <laughs> but, but it was a completely artificial value that didn't come from us as a founding team. It came from another company. We just thought it, so it sounded good, but we didn't really stick to it. We didn't really hire and let go based on its value. And eventually, we just dropped it from, uh, from the list. So uh, yes, we changed it, and we, we went to the core of what we care about as people. Wonderful. I mean, you mentioned that values uh, is you know, perceived as a pretty fluffy, you know, kind of conceptual right, thing. Uh, when, you, when it comes to implementing values within your team and within your, your company and with every new hire, I mean, maybe you can give us a bit of insight into you know, how you've encouraged and kind of implemented those values to be like really lived and breathed every day by every single team member at Travel Perk. Yeah. So, so I see values as, uh, like, like Case uh, told me, Case Colin told me, uh, it's an operational guide, right? It's, it's how we, uh, basically how we make decisions at scale. So I think we, you know, all of us uh, who are founders here, uh, I hope you would agree that you don't want to be the bottleneck, you know, on top of a, of a pyramid of decision making. It's not efficient and it's not the best way to scale. And also the worst way to hire creative people, uh, by definition. Right, so creative people want independence in the decision-making, and you want to delegate that, but you also want the decision to be made according to your values, so, or according to your culture, which is uh, manifested in values. So I really see it as an operating uh, guide, which means that it has to be present in every step of, of our day. Right? So the beginning and the most important part is we hire uh, only based on, not only, but the, 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 let's say the, the, you cannot get hired into Trapper without uh, a value fit, a culture fit. Mm -hmm. And during the interviews, uh, we actually assign, uh, in the process when you get interviewed to, to joining us, uh, people who speak with you, and, and the, the minimum amount of people that speak with a candidate for, let's say, an intern with no experience, that don't really have a lot of, of content to talk about, uh, the minimum of people, will be, uh, three people will, will speak with a candidate. Uh, and the reason for that is you need to look at values from different angles to assess them. It's not very easy to assess. Uh, values of a person, uh, we ask stories, you know, examples, we do reference calls, uh, and of course we, we just ask them directly about, about their values, and we try to assess a fit. And even if the person is the best, whatever, engineer, designer, uh, salesperson in the world, if they don't fit our values, they will not get hired. And if we made a mistake, we will let them go based on values. Even if they hit quota of 400%, we don't care. So I think this is the, base, uh, the basis of everything, is you hire and let go based on your values, you make decisions, based on your values, and then you make it very visible by talking about it. So we make a decision, we said, we decided this or that because of Seven Star or because of we are a team. So we bake the values um, into the day-to-day -day communication uh, of the company. I'm curious, right, because one of your values is we are all owners, right? And, and of course, in a you know, especially growing organization, maybe it's a bit different when you're very small. Um, some people are managers that you know, kind of own a team and own kind of whatever their, their part of uh, operations is. And, and some people are more or less, right, they're individ individual contributors or as you mentioned, juniors that are just starting off. So how, how do you actually um, 
train or, you know, just kind of uh, spread that, that value of, like, we are all owners, right, to, to everyone in the organization? Or is that maybe not an expectation for, like, everyone in the organization? It is, and it manifests itself in different ways, different, you know, jobs and roles uh, and, and levels of experience. Um, I was an owner when I was a waiter in a, in, a, in, a, in a bar, right? I didn't own the bar, but I saw myself as somebody whose job is to make sure that uh, customers come to the bar, uh, have a nice evening, and live happy. Uh, and I didn't care if my job was just to, just to wash the dishes that evening. Um, I looked around and I tried to, to get into the role of, of thinking about the, the full user experience. And I really believe, and I was very junior and I was, was paid very little, I really believe that it's uh, something that comes uh, in, from, from inside. Yeah. You want to be a part of something bigger, and you're happy to do your job, even if it means just, just washing the dishes, because you understand how important it is for the rest of the operation. So that's how I expect everybody at the company to, to think, and that's how we hire, actually. We hire people who want to be that, who want to be, okay, I'm washing dishes, or in our example, uh, in our case, I'm writing code, or I'm uh, providing customer support, or I'm, I'm, I'm the receptionist. Whatever my job is, I understand how it fits into the big mission of the company, and I'm proud in being a part of the mission, and this is the sense of ownership. Yeah. And would that also apply to when you're thinking of letting go someone? So maybe that person is, you know, kind of really performing and everything that person's doing. But there was something about, like, let's say, the way they're treating their team members, right? That, that may not exactly fit into, you know, we are a team value. Like, would you uh, let go of that person from... I, yeah. yeah, I would. And happened, I mean, of course, I cannot talk about it uh, on stage, but it happens all the time. Okay. We, we, we let go high-performing uh, team members. It's not fun. Uh, it's not the best thing. It, it, it's a lot of waste, you know, of hiring resources and training time, and, and it's, it's draining on the team. But it's even worse if you, if you leave them. And what does it mean about your values? If you lose somebody, just because they're, high, they're performing highly, everybody, looks, you know, everybody around looks and understands that we, are, we don't really mean when we say that we care about the values. Right? So it's actually the... It's not fun, right? It's not pleasant, but it's the easiest uh, let, letting go that exists for me. Uh, it's more difficult that, that, when it's the, it's the opposite, right? So somebody with a great cultural fit who just do, cannot perform their job, to me personally, it's more difficult than the other way around. Very interesting. So let's kind of go one level deeper and see how uh, these sets of values helped your team uh, and the business eventually survive, like, essentially a two-year drought, right? You guys raised... Uh, two of your biggest financing rounds uh, during that 2020 to 2022 period. Um, you, had, you saw astronomical growth. You also, I think, went through some of your biggest organizational changes in this time period. Uh, so maybe you can give us some very you know, pointed examples about how you implemented this and yeah. Yeah, some of those strategies. So, so the pandemic, uh, unfortunately, provided um, great opportunities to actually prove my point that you stick to your values when you have something to lose. Um, so COVID hit, we had negative revenue uh, in April of 2020. I went to business school and they never taught me that it's possible to have a negative revenue, right? The top line was negative, uh, not the bottom line. Uh, bottom line is, is common, right? Um, but yes, it's possible, unfortunately. It's when you refund more money to your customers than we collect in a given month, and we refund it because uh, we believe in seven star, uh, right? So we followed our values, even though it was expensive. And then everybody in the, in the industry, in the travel industry, um, Everybody who has more, had more than a few hundred employees, and at the time we had 450 employees at the beginning of COVID. We, today we are more than uh, 1,200 uh, worldwide. Um, so 
450 employees, 300 of them were left with no, basically no, no work to do. Uh, most of them were in sales, in customer support, travel agents, right? And there was nothing to do after the, the first wave of cancellations. Um, and everybody in the industry just let uh, these profiles go. And, and I was thinking, you know, what do you do, right? So you're a GDS expert. GDS is one of these archaic uh, systems that airlines use to book your tickets. Um, and it's a very archaic system, so it takes a few years to become an expert in the GDS. Um, and typically, these are very you know, highly skilled, uh, very kind of niche roles uh, that are only employed by travel agencies. So let's say you are a mother or father of two living in a small apartment in Barcelona or in, uh, in Berlin or in London where we have offices, and you're being let go because of the fact that there is a pandemic uh, and nobody, you know, we don't need the volume. We have no volume, so we don't need uh, the role right now. What do you do? And, and you know, for many of, the, of our people, it would mean, you know, the difference between getting paid a salary and, and waiting for unemployment a few months uh, because the, the Spanish government uh, is efficient as, it's, as efficient as it sounds, uh, meaning not efficient at all. Uh, so what do you do when you have no, no money to buy, buy food for your kids? And this was a real problem of people in my team. We're not talking about, like, uh, you know, canceling your Peloton uh, subscription. We're talking about food for your children. So uh, I'm very grateful that uh, my, and I'm not saying it just because she's here, uh, my great board uh, featuring tra Target Global and the rest of the investors, Chinovic and, and, and Jerome Catalyst and others, she, uh, really understood uh, that we, uh, we want to operate according to our values and we chose not to do any layoffs uh, at all at the company. We all went together through this pandemic. It was costly, uh, but we actually acquired more customers during this time, and now you can see in the graph, you know, revenue graph, you can see the result of keeping a team, and not just a team, a highly motivated team that knows that we're there for them um, during the pandemic. It wasn't obvious at the time, but now it's very obvious. Yeah. Did you, some of your customers actually notice uh, in this time period? I mean, it must have also been very, you know, tough for your customers that, uh, yeah, they're not traveling, they have to make a decision to essentially uh, not, not engage, right? So you have like an entire customer support team that, uh, you know, maybe went and, and engaged with some of your customers. I mean, maybe you can, you know, say, say a few things about some very practical, uh, yeah, activities that, that your sales and CS team yeah, we did. Used to, yeah, we used the time. I mean, we didn't just um, lay out Sit our hands, there. right? So, yeah, so, so we used the time to upskill people. Uh, we moved people from customer care to sales and then from sales to customer care, right? So we were creative with, with the time. Uh, but essentially, we kept the team and we kept uh, our values, and now it pays dividends. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. You also made a couple acquisitions in, in, in these years, uh, and you decided to take on uh, some of the folks from those acquired companies onto yep. your team. Can you speak a little bit about that integration process and how the role of values, what role values played in that integration process? It's interesting because we wouldn't have made, we made four acquisitions uh, during, during the last two and a half years. Uh, one lo pretty large one in Birmingham and the others relatively smaller. Um, and we wouldn't make any of these acquisitions without a complete uh, culture fit between the companies. So it was actually tough. Like, how do you assess a culture fit of a team of 150 people that you hire? And we actually did it. We interviewed uh, many of them, not all of them, but most of, of the teams and really dug into the culture uh, that we're buying. Otherwise, it wouldn't fit. We would have to let people go. 
because I wouldn't keep people in the company that are not a culture fit. So very happy that it's, uh, the integration is ongoing, but going on really, really well. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think large extent, thanks to that. Thanks to the fact that we actually see the world in, a, in the same way. Yeah. And it was like meeting a long lost uh, sibling. Yeah, very cool. Uh, any advice to founders, uh, early growth stage uh, that have, you know, thought about values? Maybe they have co-founders and they can't agree on values or like, oh, maybe we just, you know, do it another time. Do you, do you have any practical advice for them? Do it. That's <laughs> practical advice. You need to have a list of values. You need to act, like, not just the list, right? You need to make decisions based on your values. Everybody sees these decisions and they become a part, become your culture, basically. And that, that's the only recipe I know to creating a great culture is sticking, having good values and then sticking to them. Very cool. Uh, maybe one rapid fire, a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, so you mentioned The Office. What are some books or movies or TV shows that you know, bring you a little bit of inspiration on, you know, how you operated, especially in the early years, right? You started as an engineer. I mean, you had an entrepreneurial kind of experience beforehand, but definitely not at this scale. So maybe you can speak a little bit to you. Yeah. Silicon Valley, the TV show. <laughs> no. uh, and we crushed. No, uh, get a lot of inspiration there. No, jokes aside, I think the most important book uh, that I've read, uh, so two books that have the same words in the title, not related uh, except that, but one is for, li for life and one is for business. Uh, so the life book that I highly recommend to everybody is um, The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. Um, really great book about, um, you know, it's a meta research about meta research, uh, about how being, you know, what science tells us about being happy in life. Um, I'll give you a spoiler. You need to have um, a family and close friends and you need to have a purpose in your life, uh, which mo for most of us is, is our job. And I think many people uh, neglect the first for the, you know, for, you know, uh, for the, for the second. So uh, don't forget that. So I'm, you know, uh, at least from my perspective, I'm happily married. You should ask my wife if, if she agrees. But I'm happily married. I have two uh, kids and I'm, I'm not ashamed uh, to prioritize my family. And I think that's uh, key. And I took it from the book. Uh, so the happiness hypothesis. And the other one is Delivering Happiness by Tony Sher, the founder of Zappos. And this book drives our seven-star experience, and it drives how we think about our customers and about, about our company. So uh, these two books really change how I, th I see the world. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSdoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.